0: Have you ever missed something that was incredibly obvious like it was right in front of you right in front of your eyes and you did not see it you know like when you're looking around for your glasses and you're tearing your house apart you're looking under the couch you're uh, looking through your dresser you're even looking in the freezer the entire time they are sitting right on top of your head have you ever done something like that has something like that ever happened to you before you know, you're trying to find your car keys and you're digging all through your car. You're digging through the laundry. You've asked your spouse, hey, do you know where the keys are? Have you seen the keys? You're asking your kids and, and thinking that maybe one of them took your keys. You're calling the last store that you were at when and, and to see if they had your keys, if they got their, your keys turned in. And you, 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 you drove your car home from the store, so how could they have your keys? But you think maybe they do. And then you realize that, oh, yeah, they were in my pocket the entire time. Or, you know, um, maybe your wife sends you out to the grocery store on a Saturday afternoon and there's a short list. I mean, there's this weird spice on this list that you need to get that you've never heard of before. You're standing in this aisle with thousands of other little bottles of different spices. You're standing there for like 15 minutes and you're staring at this thing and 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 you can't find it. So you call her. And she says to you, "Um, yeah, I was there yesterday, and it's right in the middle on the third shelf. And sure enough, it's been there the entire time. You were staring at it the entire time, which may have recently happened to me. You know, I, I think that we all have things in our life that we just don't see, that we miss, that are very obvious. And I think the same thing can happen in our spiritual lives, in our faith. I think that there are times in our lives where we miss Jesus, like Jesus is working, Jesus is moving, Jesus is active in our lives, but we just don't see him and we don't notice him. And it's not because he's hiding, it's not because he's on some covert mission, it's not because he's disconnected and distant from us. In fact, oftentimes, he is making himself very obvious to us, but we have things in our lives that keep us from seeing him clearly, and it causes us to miss what he is doing in and through our lives. Today, we are continuing our sermon series called Miracles, where we're talking about the extraordinary power of God in our everyday lives. And what we're actually going to be doing today is we're picking up where we left off last week. And so if you've got a Bible with you, I want to invite you to grab it and open it with me to John chapter 5. The Gospel of John chapter 5. Last week we saw what, what, what uh, Jesus had done is that he traveled back home to Galilee. He, he was down in Jerusalem celebrating the Passover. He travels back up north to Galilee. While he's there, he comes across this man. A royal official that uh, we don't know a whole lot about, but this guy finds Jesus and he, he's, the, this, he's got a son who is sick. He's got a son who is at the point of death. Well, this man begs and pleads with Jesus, please come heal my son. I need you to go with me right now. I need you to come back home with me before my son dies. But but Jesus doesn't go with the man. He simply looks at him and he says, go, your son will live. And he says, I'm going to go back to the the house. I need you to come with me. I need you to go with me. And um, my my son needs to be healed. That's what this man says. And and Jesus says to him, your your son will live. In that moment, this royal official had a decision to make. He, He says, am I going to trust what Jesus has told me to do? Am I going to believe? Am I going to have faith or not? And it says that this man took Jesus at his word, that he believed, that he trusted, that that he did what Jesus told him to do. And the result was, is that his son gets healed. It's the second miracle, the second sign that we see of Jesus in the Gospel of John. You see, throughout the Gospel of John, Jesus is performing these different signs, these different miracles. And the the purpose of these signs wasn't to entertain people, it wasn't to wow people, it wasn't to draw a large crowd, no. The purpose of these signs was to validate the claims of Jesus, to prove that Jesus was indeed the Messiah, that he was the Christ, he's the Son of the living God. He was making these claims about himself, and he was using these signs and these miracles to reveal his character and to say, you can trust me, you you can see I am who I say that I am. Well, John chapter 5, the story continues, and that's where we're going to pick up today. And so we're going to put these words up on the screen as well, but here is what it says beginning in verse 1. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, there was in Jerusalem, by the Sheep Gate, a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five-roofed colonnades. So now, Jesus travels back to Jerusalem again. In fact, all throughout his ministry, we see him frequently traveling back and forth to Jerusalem. And this time, while he is in Jerusalem, he stops by this pool called Bethesda. Now, archaeologists have actually found this pool where it is. They've unearthed it. We have a picture of this here this morning for you to see. But obviously, there is no water in this pool anymore. But um, the, the remains, the structure of this pool, you can see some of it there and get an idea of what this may have looked like. In fact, I think it's very interesting just how specific John is about this pool area. That he doesn't say Jesus went to this place, but he instead says, gives a lot of incredibly uh, detailed uh, perspective here, specifics about this. He says it's in Jerusalem, he says it's by the Sheep Gate, he says it has these Five-roofed colonnades. And so I think about the details that John is describing here and how he's talking about this. He says, you know what, you can go check this out for yourself. In fact, the original audience who was reading this knew exactly what he was talking about. And I think that this is incredible because we can still go to this place today, 2,000 years later. We can see this pool area for ourselves and we can imagine what this must have been like. Well, verse 3 goes on to say this. It says, in these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. So here in this pool area in Jerusalem, there's a lot of people who are laying there who had experienced a number of different disabilities. And what was happening is that these people would get dropped off at the beginning of the day by a family member or by a friend. At the end of the day, they would be picked up by the family member or friend. They would come back and pick them up and take them back home. You think, well, why are they doing this? Why are these people hanging out around the pool all day? Well, there was this belief, there was this myth that every once in a while, this angel would come down from heaven, and the angel would stir the waters, the, the, the waters would begin to bubble up, and the first person to get into the waters would be healed. Now, this, what's been discovered is that there are actually two springs underneath the ground in this area that would cause the water to bubble up. There wasn't an angel that was coming down to stir it up, but there was this myth that they believed in and were hoping was true. You see, at this time, there was no special care or special attention that you could get if you were disabled like this. In in fact, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed were seen as outcasts in that society. Many of these people were neglected and abandoned by their families, and, and they would even be dropped off at this place and left here for several days at a time. And the people in Jerusalem knew that they were to avoid this place. Like, no one visited this place. They, the, people didn't even like to pass by this place. People went out of their way to stay away from this place. And I'm sure that you can just imagine the heartbreaking sight of what this place must have been like. All of these people laying there in this area, this desperate need that they're all in, hoping that this angel would come down and stir the waters. Most people avoided this place, but Jesus purposely visited, purposely stepped into this place that others wanted nothing to do with. Listen to what it says in verse 5. One man was there at the pool who had been an invalid for 38 years. Years. So, out of all the people who were there at the pool, there was one man who stands out. There's one man specifically who grabs Jesus' attention. And it's this man who has been disabled and has regularly been sitting in this area for 38 years. It's pretty significant because in those days, the average life expectancy was somewhere around 35 to 40 years old. And this guy had been alive and disabled for 38 years. Now, I want you to just imagine the sense of hopelessness that this man must have felt. Day after day, month after month, year after year, he had gone and laid at this pool every day, hoping and waiting for a miracle. Nothing has ever happened. He's, possibly, he's probably come to believe that he's just going to have to accept the fact that this is going to be the way that he's going to spend the rest of his life. Ignored, abandoned, left here at this pool, nothing is ever going to change. On this day, though, Jesus steps into his life, and look at what it says in verse 6. When Jesus saw him laying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? So Jesus singles this man out of the crowd, and and we're not told why, but maybe it's because he's the oldest, maybe it's because he's been there the longest, but Jesus picks him out of the crowd. And I imagine that Jesus has to maneuver around a whole bunch of other people in order to get to him, maybe even stepping over some other people in order to get to this man who has this need. He comes to this man, and he's been ignored by others abandoned by others he leans in jesus does he leans in close to him and he says to him he asks him this question do you want to be healed do you want to get better well i'm sure that the guy is thinking uh yeah what 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 kind of a question is that do i want to be healed yes clearly What, what 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 do you think i'm doing here just laying around trying to get a tan or something of course I want to be healed. I've been like here for, for years and this is not fun. In fact, look at what it says in verse 7. It says, the sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I am going, another steps down before me. He's saying, look guy, I don't know who you are, but I've been trying to get healed for years. That's why I'm here. But every time that the water gets stirred, there's this mad dash in order to get into the water. My legs don't work, and so I have to kind of army crawl to get there, and, and there's no one around to help me. I want to get better. Yes, I want to be well, but I've been trying, and I'm running out of options. Well, look at what Jesus says responding in verse 8. It says, Jesus said to him, get up, take up your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed and he took up his bed and walked. I mean, Jesus doesn't try to argue with this man. He doesn't try to convince him. He, He doesn't even ask him to believe or to have faith. He simply looks at him and he says, get up, take up your bed and walk. And in an instant, Jesus spoke. This man who had been disabled for 38 years, whose legs would not work, in that moment, his legs begin to work. This is incredible. This guy stands up for the first time in his life. He picks up his bed and he starts to walk around. It's a miracle. What we see in the Gospel of John is that each of these signs seem to be more and more impressive. Like the first one, Jesus turns water into wine. Second, Jesus heals this young boy who's sick. And then Jesus heals this man who's been disabled for 38 years. Simply by saying a word, simply by speaking, this man is instantly healed. But this is where the story takes a bit of a twist. It takes a bit of a turn. Listen to what it says at the end of verse 9. Now that day was the Sabbath. It was the Sabbath. And look, Jesus didn't forget what day of the week it was. It wasn't like this was an accident. It's not like, oh, I forgot it's the Sabbath. No, no, no. Jesus knew what he was doing. He could have easily shown up the day before. He could have easily shown up the day after. But Jesus purposely showed up on the Sabbath in order to heal this man. And so why does he do that? Well, he's stirring the pot. He's uh, firing some shots at the religious leaders. And he's saying to them, do you realize who I am? Do you know why I'm here? Do you know what I'm about to do? Look at what it happens then in verse 10. It says this. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath and it is not lawful for you to, make up your, to take up your bed. I want you to just imagine this here. Here are these religious leaders. They see this man who's been disabled for 38 years. And listen, they know this man. I think that they knew that he had been there for a long, long time. But they see him walking for the first time in his entire life. And they think. And the first thing that they think uh, to say to him is, I can't believe that you are walking, that you are carrying your bed today. How dare you break one of the laws of the Sabbath? Friends, a miracle has taken place right in front of their very eyes. But they don't even care. I mean, why is that? Why are they so concerned? Because the man has broke the rules that they had made. It's, they, they, he'd broken one of their laws. You see, these religious leaders had taken the Old Testament commandments. There were quite a number of them, but they, they had taken them and they had added more to them. And they came up with all of these extra rules, all of these extra laws, and it was referred to as the oral law. The oral law was passed on from generation to generation to just the religious leaders. They were the only ones. The average person, the average citizen, didn't know all these laws. The oral law, though, was seen as authoritative, as authoritative as the scriptures. These religious leaders held up the the oral law they they uh, used used it in a way to control people. they used it in a way to manipulate people to maintain power over them. I mean this is incredibly legalistic and, and it, it, it was possible impossible rather it was impossible for the average person to know and to keep all of these rules. What these leaders had done is that they had taken the Old Testament commandment that said obey the sabbath and keep it holy to trust the lord and to intentionally set aside time to regularly rest in him to take a day out of your week and to not work they had taken this commandment about the sabbath and they came up with 39 different categories for work that were forbidden but one of that the categories was that they they were not to carry a load from one place to another so here comes this guy. He's walking for the first time in his life. I'm sure he's incredibly excited. I mean, he, he, he did not see this coming. A miracle had taken place in his life. And all of these guys are, uh, that, that, that are these religious leaders, all they're concerned about is the bed. All they're concerned about is this mat that has been rolled up. And, and why are you carrying your bed? Don't you know that it's the Sabbath? And look, the punishment for breaking a law of working on the Sabbath was that you were to be stoned to death. So this guy who has just been healed is now about to be stoned to death for carrying his bed with him. Obviously, this guy is going to have a bit of an objection to this. And so here is what happens in verse 11. He answered them, "The, The man who healed me, That that man said to me, take up your bed and walk. He says, it's not my fault. The guy who healed me told me to pick up my bed. I mean, I just got my legs back. What do you want me to do? Do you want me to just ignore what he says? Verse 12, they asked him, who is the man who, who said to you, take up your bed and walk? They say, give us his name. I mean, give us his address. We'll go hunt him down. We'll go talk to him. We'll deal with him. The guy starts thinking, you know, I I don't know who it was. I, I never got his name. I never got his contact info. I don't know who it is. In fact, in verse 13, it says, Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. Verse 14 goes on to say, afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, see, you are well, sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. Now the the man goes and he starts telling on Jesus, he starts tattling on him. You know, this is one of the most interesting healing miracles in all of the gospel accounts. And and what I want to do here is just to point out how different, how unique this miracle is from all of the others that Jesus performed. You see, typically when someone would would want to be healed, they would go and track Jesus down. They, They would call on him. They would travel a long distance to go try to find him. Like like, like we saw last week, but here, for some reason, Jesus goes and he finds this man. Here, Jesus picks this man out of a crowd. Oftentimes when we read about Jesus being in crowds, he heals and performs many miracles. He heals many people who are sick. But for whatever reason, out of all the people who are there in this desperate need of a miracle, Jesus picks only this one man. Typically, people would ask God, people would ask Jesus to heal them. In this situation, Jesus actually goes to the man and he asks him, do you want to be healed? Typically, people would believe in Jesus, they would have faith, and then in response to that, Jesus would heal them. But here, there is no evidence of faith, there is no evidence of belief, Jesus just heals him. Typically, When Jesus would heal somebody, he would send them away and he would say, hey, don't tell anybody about me. And they would never run into each other again. But Jesus tracks this man down a second time to tell him who he is. So what's going on here? Because this is a very unique miracle. Jesus is being incredibly intentional with this man. He's making himself known to him. He's displaying his power in his life. He's saying, here I am. I'm the Messiah. I'm the son of God. He is making himself completely obvious to this man. And yet this man seems to be missing it. He doesn't see Jesus for who he actually is. He doesn't see Jesus for what he actually is offering him. Now listen, before we get too critical here, I think that a lot of times we can be just like this man in our lives. We miss how Jesus is at work. We miss how he is moving in our lives. We miss how he's trying to grow us and trying to stretch us and trying to transform us. We miss how he is trying to call us to greater faith and to greater obedience. Like he's right in front of us. He's making himself obvious, but we just don't see him because we have things in our lives that keep us from seeing him clearly. And so what I want to do here in the remainder of our time is just to kind of consider some of these things. And I want you to consider this question. What keeps us from seeing Jesus in our lives. What are some of the things that keep us from seeing Jesus clearly? That's what I wanna talk about in the remainder of our time. Three things from this story that, that we see here that, keep, uh, that kept the people in this story from seeing Jesus in their lives. And what are maybe some of the things that, we, that keep us from seeing Jesus in our lives? I think this is incredibly relevant for us today. The first thing is just simply this, our circumstances in life keep us from seeing Jesus, our circumstances. Now, I want you to think back to the beginning of the story. This guy has been disabled for 38 years. He is in a hopeless situation. Jesus approaches him and he asks him this simple question, do you want to be healed? Listen, God in the flesh, standing right in front of this man, offering him the chance to be healed, offering him a miracle, and all he can think about is that he can't get into the water. All he can think about is what he can't do to fix his problem on his own. He doesn't see Jesus who he actually is. He doesn't see what Jesus has offered him because of his circumstances. His situation seemed to be bigger in his eyes than Jesus is. He, doesn't, he does end up getting a miracle. He does end up being healed. But it doesn't, it's not because he has great faith. It's not because he has this tremendous belief. It was entirely because of Jesus' initiative in his life. You see, if we're not careful, I think that our circumstances, our situations that we find ourselves in can keep us from seeing Jesus in our lives. And rather than seeing the situation that we're in through God's perspective, we oftentimes look at God through the perspectives of our problems, through the perspective of our situation. And when we do that, our problems become very big and God becomes very small in our lives, which leads us to miss God working in and through our lives. You see, God is often most at work in our trials. He's often most at work in the difficult seasons of our lives. But rather than looking at God through the lens of our circumstances and our problems, we need to look at our problems through God's perspective and to see how God is at work in our life, how God is using this situation. God needs to be bigger than our problems. God needs to be in greater focus than our difficult situations. And so the next time that you find yourself in a difficult season, you find yourself in an overwhelming situation, and maybe you're in that right now. I mean, maybe it's because of a family thing, or maybe it's a health thing, or maybe it's a work thing. Maybe it's a financial or emotional. Maybe it's physical or mental. But it is a situation that is overwhelming, and your problems seem so big, and you're having a tough time seeing God in your life. Here are some helpful questions to consider in in order to kind of refocus to see Jesus in the middle of your problems. The the first question is this, what is God trying to teach me through this? What lessons does God want me to learn from this? I, I don't want to waste my time here. God's trying to get my attention. God's trying to use this in my life. God, what are you trying to teach me? How is God growing my faith and trust in him? How is God using this situation in my life to cause me to depend and to rely upon him in a greater way? How is he seeking to increase my level of faith and trust in him despite the fact that I'm in this situation that seems completely overwhelming? And so what is God trying to teach me? But then secondly, what blind spots is God trying to reveal? What blind spots is God trying to reveal? Is there a blind spot in my faith? Uh, Maybe a hidden sin or maybe an impure motive. Is there something in my life that God is trying to reveal to me? That God is trying to make painfully obvious and he is using this situation to get my eyes off of my problem and onto him. Friends, listen. If we're not careful, the problems that we face, the situations that we find ourselves in can keep us from seeing Jesus in our lives. There's a second thing here, and it's this, our blessings. Our blessings can keep us from seeing Jesus clearly. You see, this man is healed by Jesus. He experiences this incredible blessing, and it says that Jesus slipped away into the crowd, disappeared. He, 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 I want you to notice This man never goes after this, after Jesus. He never goes to try to find him. He's not interested in trying to figure out what this man's name was who had just healed him. He, he, He never goes to try to track him down. In fact, Jesus goes and finds this man a second time at the temple. And unlike so many of Jesus' other miracles, there's no evidence of saving faith from this man. There's no evidence of belief and trust in Jesus. He receives this blessing from Jesus and he simply goes on with his life. He receives a physical healing, but he does not seem to receive a spiritual healing. And as a result, he misses out on what he needs the most, which is not a miracle, but it's actually a relationship with Jesus. Friends, just like the man in the story, our blessings can keep us from seeing our desperate need for Jesus. Because when we have all of our physical needs met and we've been blessed with so much, it is easy to stop depending upon God, to stop relying on him, to stop seeing him as the only one who can meet our greatest needs in life. And what happens is that we start to place our hope in our blessings rather than in Jesus. You see, it's so important that every day we remember and remind ourselves of our desperate need for Jesus, that he's the only one in this world, the only one in our lives who can give us what it is that we need the most. He's the only one who can provide us with peace. He's the only one who can give us true joy. He's the only one who can provide us with true purpose, not just purpose here on this earth, but purpose for all of eternity. He is the only one who can provide us with forgiveness and unconditional love and salvation. But when we take our blessings and we hold them tightly and we begin to place our hope in them, our physical blessings end up becoming our spiritual blinders in life. And they can keep us from seeing Jesus clearly. They keep us from seeing how much we actually need him. So our circumstances can keep us from seeing Jesus. Our blessings can keep us from seeing Jesus. But then thirdly, our religion. Our religion can keep us from seeing Jesus. You see, it wasn't just the man in the story who was healed who missed Jesus, but it was the religious leaders as well. The the ones who knew the scriptures the best, the ones who followed all the rules, the ones who seemed to be most connected and closest to God. Listen, listen to how the story ends in verse 16. It says, and this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things because he was healing on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, my father is working until now and I am working. Verse 18. This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was called, he, he, was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Because Jesus healed on the Sabbath, because Jesus didn't follow their religious system and and, and all of their rules, because Jesus didn't fit into their little box of who God was and how God should act, they refused to see Jesus as their Messiah. And instead, it says that they were seeking all the more to kill him. They they could not see how Jesus was uh, because of their religion. They, They could not see who he was and what he came to accomplish. Later on in the same chapter, John records for us that Jesus actually confronts these religious leaders about this. Verses 39 and 40, Jesus says this to these religious leaders. He says, You search the scriptures because you know that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. And yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Look, these religious leaders knew the scriptures better than anybody else. But they miss the fact that all of the scriptures ultimately are pointing to Jesus. That Their religious system, their religious rules kept them from seeing who Jesus was. And as a result, they never received everlasting life from him. You know, the word religion gets a bad rap in the Christian world, in the evangelical world today. We talk about how it's about a relationship and not about religion. And that's true. But, but you see, the Bible doesn't say that religion is always a bad thing. In fact, James talks about a type of religion that God approves of, that God accepts as being pure and holy. And, and what he's saying is that religion isn't necessarily a bad thing. The issue is that when our religious systems that we create are elevated over who Jesus actually is, The problem is when we try to fit Jesus into our own religious boxes, a box that makes sense to us and that we can understand, a box that we can control and manipulate, a box that makes Jesus very small. What are some of those little boxes that we can create? Well, sometimes it can have to do with church practices. Our worship styles, our, our preferences in preaching styles, our preferences in the, the way the music is, the, the loudness or the brightness of the lights. And, and, and unless a church is operating within this specific box, we think that Jesus couldn't possibly be moving here. Jesus couldn't possibly be working in this area because it does not fit into this box that I have of who Jesus is and how he should act. Our spiritual disciplines can be a box that, that we can try to put Jesus in. Like, listen, I got 30 minutes in the morning where I read my Bible and I'm going to pray. And, and that is the time, the appointed time that I have for you, Jesus, in my life. You know, I've got all these other things that I need to get done. I, the rest of the day, that's mine. The rest of the day, I'm going to do what i got to do. And, and, and so I need you here in this box Something that I can control. Something that I can understand. And that's the way that I'm going to have you communicate with me. Listen, when our religious systems become greater than Jesus, we begin to not see clearly. Jesus becomes small. We miss who he is and what he's trying to do in our lives. And so I want to ask you, what is keeping you from seeing Jesus in your life? from seeing who he truly is, from seeing how he's working, from seeing how he's trying to grow you and stretch you and call you to deeper faith and obedience? Is it your circumstances in life? Like you're in a situation right now that just seems to be overwhelming where all, all you can see is your problems. I mean, Jesus is standing right in front of you. You can't see him clearly because you're so focused on the circumstances. Or... Is there some kind of blessing in your life, some financial success? Maybe it's family career success that you're having. You have all of these blessings and they're so consuming you that, they're, that, that you're actually missing out on the fact that you need most Jesus in your life. Is there some kind of religious system? Not that you're not a believer, not that you're walking away from God, but, but you know God just isn't working in the way that you expected or the way that you want Him to. He, he doesn't seem to be fitting into the box that you've created, and, and so you're not really interested in Him. Maybe it's something else. Maybe, maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's something to do with school or with work. Maybe it, it's some kind of other distraction. But what is it that is keeping you from seeing Jesus in your life? What is it uh, that, that, is the, that is disrupting you? Is it, what is it that are the spiritual blinders that you're experiencing in your life right now? First, you've got to be aware of them. You've got to recognize them. And hopefully today, God is bringing maybe some of those things to your mind as you're allowing him just free reign to uh, open up your eyes to those things, uh, making you aware of those things. Secondly, though, you need to acknowledge it. We, We need to own it. We need to confess that to the Lord. We need to repent of it, and we need to turn and walk away from it and walk to the Lord. And then finally, we need to ask Jesus for help. We need his help in our lives, that that we might be a people who experience the powerful presence of God working in and through and around us. Friends, we need to see Jesus clearly.